Well, JB's been doing in grow groups, he's been looking at some hard passages, and so I thought we would look at this passage of the Good Samaritan this morning. It kind of is a difficult passage because the lawyer asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And basically, Jesus turns the question back on him, and he says, you know, how does, how does it read to you? What do you see uh, the law says? And he says, basically, that you got to keep it. But the truth is, if you're going to keep the law and be saved, you have to keep it perfectly, exactly right. And we know that the Bible says that there's no one righteous, no, not one no one who seeks after God. And so through this story and the, and the way that Jesus gives his answer, the lawyer should have understood that he hasn't, he won't, and he, and he will not in the future as well. And so he should have understood that he needed a savior. But he's not really asking the question to get an answer. He's doing it to test Jesus, to put him to a test. And so we'll see how this all fits together. But the truth is, you know, in Jesus's time, people were asking the question, you know, what must I do to be saved? Um, you see it in the rich young ruler. You see it here in this passage and many other places. People are wanting to know what they do, what they can do to be saved. And even that same question comes about today. And some common answers are, you need to walk down an aisle. You need to get baptized in order to be saved. You need to go to church. You need to try to live a good life. I mean, if you can do more good than bad, then, you know, you can, you can gain eternal life. You can obtain uh, getting into entrance into heaven through that. I mean, you got to keep the law or as many people say, the Ten Commandments, because, you know, there, there's so many laws that were given to those Jewish people, and some of those were just for them in this time. So if we can just keep the Ten Commandments, then, you know, we can gain our way, our, our entrance into heaven. We can have eternal life. But we know that none of that is true. We know that God had to send His Son into the world to be the Savior because we can't save ourselves. And so Jesus came into this world. He left the glories of heaven. He became a man. He willingly died on the cross of Calvary, paying for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the entire world. Three days later, he arose from the grave, conquering death, so that whoever, anyone, would just simply believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that is a good news message and a message that we'll talk about as we go through this morning. But the question is, is was the law given to save anyone? Can the law save anyone? You know, and the answer to that is no. The law was given to sinful people. It was given in order to set them apart. It shows the character of God. So the law is good. It has purpose, but it's not given to save anyone. You know, in John chapter 5, Jesus is giving um, all of these people that testified to who he was as God's son, as the savior of the world. I mean, John the Baptist, the law, Moses, all of those point to Jesus Christ. But he says to the religious leaders in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, but you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You see, the object of our faith for salvation is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not the law. It's not what's written in the book. The, what's written in the book and the law point to the Savior who is Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24 says, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us 
to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law is not what saves us. It leads us to the person who does, and that is Jesus. Romans 3, 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So though there's no works of the law, there's no being good enough, doing good enough that can save anyone. And so we all need a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ. Through the passage we're looking at this morning, we'll see that the lawyer should have understood that the law couldn't save him and he should have looked to the savior Jesus Christ. God never intended that the law would save anyone by keeping the law because no one can keep the law, not even the Ten Commandments. We're all sinners and we all need a Savior. That's the overarching key of this passage, but there's another question that's raised by the lawyer, and that is who is my neighbor? This is used by the lawyer to try to qualify or justify himself. But for those of us who already possess eternal life, we can make application to Jesus' reply. And we'll see that as well as we go through our passage. So let's look at an outline of what we're going to see this morning. We're going to first see that a lawyer comes. and He asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. You know the scriptures. What does it say to you? And basically, he says, you got to keep the law. And Jesus says, well, do this and you'll live. But can anyone do this and live? No. And so what the lawyer should have understood through that is that I know that I haven't, I know that I can't, and I know that I won't, so there's got to be another way, and that way is you, Jesus. I know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. But he tries to justify himself. I think he thinks, you know, even my job, you know, I... I I act out religious acts because I'm a lawyer, I'm a scribe, I write out the law. So, you know, I'm religious, I, I love God, and I think he doesn't understand that he has to love God with all of his heart, with all of his strength, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, you know, and I think he leaves out all those alls, but he thinks that, man, I love God, but, you know, what about this loving your neighbor? Let me, let me try to qualify who this neighbor is so that I can narrow the playing field and that I can do what it takes to give me eternal life through keeping the law. So he asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't reply to the question just like he didn't reply to the first question with an answer, but he gives a story of the Good Samaritan. And then he asked the question, a similar question, back to him in reply. And then Jesus says, go and do the same. So before we look at our specific passage, let's get some background. The gospel according to Luke is selected events of the life of Christ given in consecutive order. It starts with the birth of Christ. If you go at Christmas time and you want to look for the Christmas story, you go to Luke chapter 2 and you see the birth of Jesus Christ. You see him as a child. You see him grow up and start his ministry and his teaching and and investing in the life of his 12 disciples. He sends them out in chapter 10. Then they come back and then he sends out 72 more and they come back and they're rejoicing because, you know, even the demons, these spirits, they, they come under their authority in Jesus' name. But look at chapter 10, verse 20. It states, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to, 
to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And for all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, that should be a reason of rejoicing. We should rejoice and we should have joy in our lives because our names are written in the book of life. We don't get joy because we do great things in this world, that we even do great things for God in this world. We get joy because our names are recorded in heaven, that we have eternal life. That's what should give us joy. Then he goes on in verse 21, and I think this is an important verse because it ties into what what we're going to be looking at this morning. Look with me at verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. You see, this lawyer is an intelligent man. He's smart. He, he's wise. He knows the scriptures. He knows the law. And he thinks, you know what? I can trip up Jesus. I can, I can trick him and, and into, into saying something that, that will show that he's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not who he says he is. And so I'm going to try to try to test him. I'm going to put him to the test. But we're going to see that Jesus turns it around on him and puts him to the test. So you see, even infants, even children can understand the simplicity of the message of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again, so that whoever, anyone, would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Sometimes people in their, in their smartness and in their wisdom, they get tripped up on the simplicity of the gospel. And I think this lawyer does the same thing as well. Well, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says to them privately that they are blessed because they're living in this time, in Christ's first advent. You see, people in the past, present, and future we're not, never able to do that. Only those people during that particular time. And not only were they living in the time of Christ, but they were being taught by him. They were walking with him. They were talking with him um, throughout their lives. And so they were blessed in that. But for all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, there is a truth that we didn't get to be here at his first advent. But there is a truth that he's coming back again to this earth. And whenever he comes back again, every one of us that have believed in Jesus Christ are coming with him and we're going to rule with him and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. And then we're also going to rule and reign with him for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And so that should bring joy in our lives as well. Maybe we didn't live at his first advent, but we will be living with him in his second. Well, then Jesus turns back to the crowd and that's where we pick up in our passage this morning, beginning in verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer, it would have been a scribe, someone who wrote out the, the scriptures, that was kind of his job to do. He would have been well-versed in knowing what the Bible says, what the law says, and he's going to put Jesus to the test. You see, he's not asking a general question. You know, Jesus, you're up in front of all these people. I think a good thing to do would be to share the gospel with them. So how are people in general saved? He says, no, what must I do? He wants to know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to ask him this question to trip him up. 
When someone asks a question, the normal response would be to give them an answer, but that's not what Jesus does. Look on in verse 26, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? You're a lawyer. You know the scriptures. Just tell me, how does it read to you? What do you see that it says? And that lawyer, you can see him. He's probably a pretty prideful man to to step up and stand up in a crowd and uh, try to test Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know the law. And he's probably thinking, yeah, I know the law. I'm going to give you the answer. And let me tell you, he gives a pretty wise and intelligent answer. Look at it in verse 27. And he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered him. He said, man, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So he gives a wise and intelligent answer. And Jesus tells him, man, you gave a wise and intelligent answer. It's the same answer that Jesus gave earlier whenever the the religious leaders tried to test him and ask him, which is the greatest commandment? You know, there's all of these commandments. Which one is the greatest? And he said, you love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. You love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So if you do these two things, then everything else is going to fall into place. Well, this lawyer, he gives, the same answer as Jesus did. It was a wise, it's an intelligent answer. But then what does Jesus say? He says, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live. I think the lawyer begins to think, do this? So basically I have to love God with everything that I have. You know, I, I think I love God because, I mean, I live for him. I'm, I'm a religious man. I mean, I write out the scriptures. You know, I, I, I show that through all the ways that I live my, my life and the job that I do. I show that I love God. But what about this loving my neighbor? You know, how do I love my neighbor as myself? I need to know who my neighbor is. And I think he wants to qualify. It says he wants to justify himself. I think he's wanting to narrow the playing field to the people that that I really like, the people that are in my close circle, the people that are like me. You know, those are my neighbors. And and if I can love them as I love myself, then, you know, I think I can pull this gig off. So look at what what he says as he asked Jesus again, but wishing to justify himself, verse 29 He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, Jesus doesn't reply with an answer, but he tells a story and asks another question back to the lawyer. Look at verse 30. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and this was a windy path. You know, many people called it the bloody way because so many people were, were beaten up and, and were, were robbed as, as they made that, that trek from Jerusalem down to Jericho on that windy road. But this man was traveling, and notice what it says. He was traveling down that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this very well could have been a Jewish man. 
But we're going to see from the passage of Scripture that he does not say that specifically. And definitely those people that are passing by wouldn't have known if this was a Jew, a Gentile, a Samaritan that was laying there. But from this message, we, we think that there's a good possibility that this was a Jewish man laying on the side of the road. One of their own of the people that are going to be coming by here in just a minute. So... We couldn't tell who he was because he has his no outer garments. He was stripped of his clothes. So you couldn't tell, you know, because oftentimes you can tell who a person is and, and where they're from by the type of clothes they wear. You know, in our day and time, if you saw a police officer and he showed up, you know, you could tell he is a police officer by the clothes that he wore. If somebody shows up in scrubs, you can tell that they're in the medical field by the clothing that they wear. Well, in that day and time, you could tell if somebody was a Jew Gentile Samaritan by their outer garments, by the clothing that they wore. But this man had been stripped of his clothing. He was left half dead, so he may not have been able to speak at all. But if he could, he probably didn't have an accent. You know, he was probably just getting his words out, doing what it took to get his words out, if he could speak even at all. And so you couldn't tell. But you know, we can tell where a person's from. Somebody that's from Texas versus somebody from New York by the accent that they have. Same was true there, but we couldn't tell. Those passerbys probably couldn't tell because no outer garments, he was half dead, no speech or no accent, even if he could speak. So look on to the next verse and look at what happens in the story. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So notice this, a priest, a religious man, so one who would be at the, at the temple offering sacrifices. He was going down that road. And so this gives us another notation that this man was probably leaving the temple and heading on his way away from Jerusalem, that he may have been heading home. And he is going down from Jerusalem. So doing his job and being clean and pure um, probably was not his most important thing that was on his mind, but it could have been one of the things on his mind because the law said that in order, if you touched a dead body, then you became unpure, you became ceremonially unpure. And so he says, you know, this part of the law, I'm gonna go ahead and abide by it but the greater part of the law that I'm supposed to love God and love others, I'm going to pass this guy by. And so he passes by on the other side of the road. He cares more about his religious duties. He cares more about his self, his, his lifestyle, um, and where he's headed. He may be headed home to see his family. And so I'm not going to stop by and help this man who is in need. But then look at what else happens. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. So another religious man, not quite as lofty as a priest. You know, the priest, he offered the sacrifice. The Levites, they helped in the temple service. But another very religious man that would have known the law very well, what does he do? He passes by on the other side, more worried about himself, his religion, or his worldly work duties than he was of this life. You know, sometimes we as Christians get the same way as well. We get tied up in the things of this world and we just pass by people 
who are in need of our assistance, who are in need of the gospel message because they're dead in their trespasses and sins and, and they're, they're separated from God and they're on their way to eternal separation. And so we need to stop and give them love, show them love, and, and to give them the message of life. Sometimes there are people who are going through trials and tragedies and tribulations in their lives, and we need to stop and help them on the way of life, and not just physical health, spiritual help, and uh, emotional help, all of those things. There are people that need those things. So what did the lawyer say back in verse 27? He said, you're to love God and love others. But this religious man, this priest, this Levite, they didn't follow the law of loving God and loving others. They just passed by this guy on the other side of the road. Notice the flow here. There's a priest, the one who offers the sacrifices. There's a Levite who helps in the temple services. So who would you expect to be next? You would expect maybe a Jewish believer who was coming from Jerusalem as well, who had been up there to, to give sacrifices to the priest to offer for himself, for his family. But Jesus doesn't throw in a Jewish believer coming from that way. He throws in a Samaritan. And this would have infuriated these Jewish believers. It would have infuriated the Jewish people who were in in the crowd that day because they don't like Samaritans. They hate Samaritans. It's just like having a bunch of cowboys together and say, hey, I'm going to bring up this sooner to talk to you guys for a little bit. And then, you know, we're like, why would you bring him of all people in the world? Why would you bring us sooner to talk to all of us cowboy fans? And so that's what it was like. They would have been infuriated at Jesus bringing this in, but that's what he does. Look at verse 33. It begins with but. You see, the Samaritan starts off with a but because a but gives contrast. You got the priest and the Levite. They felt no compassion. They just crossed by on the other side. But contrast, a Samaritan who was on a journey so he wasn't coming down from Jerusalem. He was on a journey and he came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. You know, they were infuriated. Why did you bring this guy in the story? But the Samaritan, he felt compassion. The two religious men, they felt no compassion, but the Samaritan felt compassion. The religious men were more worried about their doing rather than this human life. The things of this world will pass away, but God, his people, and his word will not pass away. The positions that people hold on this earth are temporary. Just because you have a high position on this earth doesn't mean that you're going to have a high position in all eternity. It's dependent on what you do and how you do the things that you do on this earth as to how you will live in all eternity. Not where you'll live in all eternity, but how you'll live in all eternity. And so... That is important because there are some religious people, some religious leaders who will never enter the kingdom of God and they'll stand before God and they'll say, but, but Jesus, didn't we do this and didn't we do that in your name? And he says, I never knew you. You see, we can't get to God by our goodness, by our works, by the things that we do. We get into a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ through faith alone in Christ alone. But there are also religious leaders who have believed in Jesus Christ 
and they live their life, a religious life, but not worrying about their connection with Christ and their connection with other people, investing in God and, and his people. And just because they're religious, because they come to church every week, it's not going to gain them rewards. They're doing things um, in their own strength and in their own might rather than in the power of God, and there's not going to be rewards for them. But we need to be living for the eternal, focused on Jesus Christ and his will and his word in our lives. So not only, though, did this Samaritan man just come up and feel compassion. You know, a lot of times we feel compassion. Man, that guy over there, you know, he's, he's really struggling. I feel sorry for him. Now let's go and uh, let's go have a party. Let's go, go do something and have fun. This man didn't do that. He felt compassion. And what did the lawyer say? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to love people, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And this man felt compassion, but then he also acted on it. Look with me at verse 34. So the Samaritan, he came up to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn to take care of him. So this man was beaten and left half dead. So the Samaritan takes out some oil and he, and he rubs it on, on his dried up blood so that he can moisten it, so he could clean it off. And then he uses the wine to disinfect the wounds. Then he bandages up those wounds. So he's done so much for him already. He has no idea who this guy is, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan. But he has given him expensive oil, wine, set him on his own set of wheels as he put him on his own beast, and he took him away to the end. But look on to verse 35. On the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. So he gives of his time. He stays overnight with him. He gives of his money. He takes out two days' wages. And if it costs any more, he's willing to pay it all. So think about... We're back to the song again. <laughs> so think about the differences between the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite, they felt no compassion. They passed by on the other side. They gave nothing. They were religious, but they showed no love. Religion doesn't save. The law doesn't save because no one can keep it. And they proved that by crossing by on the other side of the road. These religious of religion, religion people, they cross by on the other side. The law doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. Then we see the, the Samaritan. He felt compassion. He came to him. He poured oil and wine on him. He bandaged up his wounds. He put him on his own beast. He takes him to an inn and he stays with him. Gives two days wages plus any more that is needed. You know, if you look at this and you think about all that the Samaritan did, he felt compassion. Did Jesus feel compassion? He willingly left the glories of heaven to come and live with mankind. He came to him. He came to mankind. 
and died in our place. He poured oil and wine on us. He purified our bodies. He cleansed us. He made us new creations in Christ. He bandaged up our wounds, our our transgressions, our iniquities. What did he do? He put us on himself. He bore in his body our sins on the cross. He takes him to an end and stays the night with him. He gives him all that he needs to live in this life, a godly life. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness until he comes back to get us and take us to be with him forever. You see, Jesus is putting himself as a, as a picture and he's doing it not in a Jewish man, not in a religious man, but he does it in a, in a Samaritan man. And we're all there like the, like the man beside the road until Jesus comes and gets us and, and takes us to be with him and saves us. You know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins until Jesus Christ, until we believed in him and he gave us the greatest gift of all eternal life. So how many of us are willing to give of our time, our possessions, even to those we love, much less some man that is left beside the road, half dead and stripped of his clothes? What are we to be doing? We're to be making disciples. Making disciples involves evangelism, telling the gospel to people who are spiritually dead, who are spiritually separated from God for all eternity. Making disciples means investing in the lives of believers and encouraging them, building them up, growing them in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be doing while we're here on this earth. God has given us everything that we need in order to do that while we're here on this earth. And he commands us to be going and making disciples. Well, Jesus puts the question back on him and he asks it in a little bit different way. Look with me at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? It's not about who is your neighbor. It's not about trying to qualify or justify yourself. It's about being a neighbor to anyone who crosses your path. And so that's what we're to do. And Jesus was a neighbor to us and he saved us. He cleansed us through his coming to the earth, dying in our place, rising again, and offering us life. And since God so loved us, what should we do? We should also love one another. And so we need to be like Christ. We need to be examples to other people. And we need to be be loving and to be a good Samaritan to anyone who crosses our path. We'll look on to the lawyer's response. And he said to him, the one who showed mercy to, to, toward him, then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. The one who showed mercy to him. What if it had been the priest? What do you think he would have said? I think he would have said, it was the priest. What if it had been the Levite? I bet he would have said, the Levite. But since it was the Samaritan, the, the man that he hated, the, the person from, from the Samaritans, then I can't even bring myself to say Samaritan. So I'm gonna, just going to say the one who showed mercy toward him. So what's he showing? He's showing that he's not a neighbor, that he's not able to keep the law, that he's not fulfilling the law. 
He says, the one who showed mercy mercy to him. Through his response, he showed that he was not keeping the law. He wasn't going to be a neighbor to a Samaritan. He couldn't even bring himself to say the word, much less to be a neighbor to one. You see, there is no one righteous. No, not one. All of us are in need of a Savior, and our Savior is Jesus Christ. But Jesus' reply was much the same as he said to him in verse 28. This time he says, go and do the same. The lawyer's response again should have been, I haven't. I know I can't. I know I won't. So Jesus, I know that you are who you claim to be, that you are the Savior of the world. And we need to proclaim this to the crowd that is here. I need to proclaim this to the people that I am in connection with. And I need to make sure that I have believed in you for eternal life. And so that is our response. That's how we need to respond. That's how we need to be going out into this world and proclaiming that message to other people. He didn't have the power to live as the good Samaritan because he didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of him. But we do. And so we need to be going out living like Christ. So what have we seen this morning? We began by talking about how the law can't save anyone. Keeping the law cannot save anyone because no one can keep it. The law is what points us to the Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. We saw a lawyer stands up and test Jesus by asking him the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He thought that he could inherit, he could earn his eternal life by being good enough or that people could. And so he put Jesus to the test asking him that question. Jesus turns the question back on him. Then the lawyer trying to justify himself asks that second question, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus using the story of the good Samaritan and a question in reply showed him what it meant to be a neighbor rather than who is your neighbor. With the lawyer's understanding of the law and Jesus' response, he had plenty of information to understand that he couldn't keep the law and that the law couldn't save him. He should have come to Jesus and said, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I understand that no one comes to the Father except through you. So what are some applications that we can make in our life? We need to know the answer to the question when they ask us, what must I do to be saved? We need to let them know that eternal life is not based on what you do, what you have done, what you are doing, or what you will do, but it's based on what Jesus Christ has already done for you. He died on the cross, paid for your sin. He arose from the grave to conquer death, and he offers the gift of eternal life. By faith alone in Christ alone, you get eternal life. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ, Right where you're sitting, you can believe in him. If you're watching online, you can believe in him right where you're watching from. And he offers you as a gift eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's that not of yourselves. It's not your works. It's not you earning your eternal life. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. So no one may boast. No one can be prideful that they have eternal life. It is a gift given. Application number two is how will you react when God sends someone across your path? And our answer should be is that I'll be a neighbor to anyone that God sends across my path. I will not be like the religious 
priest and Levite. I'll be like the good Samaritan. I want to be like Christ in my life. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ is a picture of the good Samaritan and we, are need, to be, we need to be leading people to the good Samaritan, to Jesus Christ so that they can be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And if we have friends and family who are in the body of Christ, who've already believed in Christ, we need to be encouraging them, building them up, help supporting them, and helping grow them in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that not only will they know the word of God, but that they will live it out in their lives as well so that they will be rewarded for the things that they have done in this earth. So let's go and do the same as we leave this place today. Let's be a good Samaritan to anyone who God puts in our path.